So I was, I, I got lost this week. Actually, I've been lost for a little while. Now, I want you to think about how many things that could mean when I say I'm lost. Geographically, I, I don't have directions. I can't find my way home, in the words of Steve Winwood in Blind Faith. Or do I mean I just don't have a plan? Like, I'm, I'm lost. I, I, I'm just wandering through life. Or am I mentally lost? I've lost my mind, whether temporarily or permanently, that remains to be seen. Or do I mean I'm hearing what you're saying, but I'm lost. I'm not tracking. I'm not, I'm not with you. Or do I mean I'm lost in thought. I can't focus. I'm, I'm daydreaming. I can't keep my thoughts together. I'm distracted. I'm lost. Or emotionally. If you're over 40, you'll remember Air Supply once told you, Lost in love and I don't know much better. They had those real masculine voices. Lost in love. Lost in love. I, or I've lost a love and I don't have my partner. I'm unhappy. I'm lost without you. But of course, spiritually I could mean I'm lost. Which means by the traditional understanding, I'm going to burn in hell. I'm lost. But that's not really. I mean, you can be spiritually lost even in the midst of being the most outwardly religious person on earth. You can read your Bible, you can pray, you can do all kinds of religious things. And, and maybe you're not in every aspect lost. You have some bearings, but you're lost. You're not connected. Okay, so here's the question. Have I lost you yet? Before, I, before we, we explain that, well, first off, let me tell you that I didn't realize I was lost until I read the Torah portion this week, because usually when you're lost, unless it's, you know, you, you, it's hard to put a finger on that sometimes, and I wasn't looking for that in the Torah portion sometimes, you know, you just, sometimes in life you just keep walking or driving, hoping that sooner or later something's going to look familiar and you're not lost anymore. That's the classic male problem. We're lost. No, we're not. We're lost, honey. No, we're not. I mean, it's like the classic cliche. You just keep driving. Or you keep doing the same thing, expecting that eventually something's going to work out, you'll find what you're looking for. Or thinking the same way, expecting you'll find a new path. You know something's missing, or you know something's off, but you can't put a finger on it. And it is because you are lost. And then all of a sudden, something wakes you up, stirs you, hopefully, brings you back a little bit, stirs your mind. You remember, wait, I remember where I was or where I was going or what the destination is. You find this familiar anchor. And so by now, yes, you're probably lost in this teaching. So here's the clarification. I set out on a, on a very familiar mission this week to find material and develop and deliver for you a great Shabbat message. You're welcome. That's my weekly, that's my weekly task. And it's Parsha Ki Tisa. Okay? So I knew that that great message was in there because this Torah portion, there, there, everything's in here basically. There's a message of equality. 
We learn about the half shekel. The rich and the poor give the same. They mean the same thing. We learn about Bezalel, the, the young man who was what? Anointed with the Holy Spirit. Many people don't even know that happened before Jesus, but it did. God anointed Bezalel to build the tabernacle. And then, of course, Moses receives the tablets, and then what? The golden calf. And all hell breaks loose. Aaron, Aaron's journey. Oh, Aaron. Aaron. I don't know, I threw it in the fire and out came this golden calf. And then there's the broken tablets, and then Moses intercedes, and then he successfully atones for the people, and and he makes some great arguments to God. He actually has a beautiful three-point argument that he brings to God about why he can't cast all the people off, and he wins his case. And then some of the most beautiful language and story in the Torah, which we sang a little bit about, show me your glory, God. You can't see my face, you can see my back. What's that mean? I mean, there's a great message. Moses gets new tablets, and God says, I'm going to write them, but then Moses ends up writing them, so who really wrote them? And then Moses comes down, and then there's shining face, and no one knows what to do. And I mean, wow, there's a lot of material in there. It's like a buffet of sermon material. The greatest message you ever heard is in there, and yet like Elijah hearing God in the very still small voice, not in the awesome displays of power, there's something tucked in there that showed me something and woke me up and reminded me of something that I have lost. And I probably am not the only one. And Adonai said to Moses, speak to the Israelite people and say, Nevertheless, you must keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout the ages, that you may know that I, Adonai, have consecrated you. You shall keep the Sabbath, for it is holy for you. One who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does work on it, that person shall be cut off from among kin. Six days may work be done, but on the seventh day there shall be a Sabbath of complete rest. Who is it holy to? And then... Holy to Adonai. Whoever does work shall be put to death. The Israelite people shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout the ages as a covenant for all time. It shall be a sign for all time between me and the people of Israel. For in six days Adonai made heaven and earth. On the seventh day, God ceased from work and was refreshed. But I want you to notice something. In all of that stuff that is happening in that Torah portion, those are the words that conclude everything we've done in Exodus up to this point, meaning that just before God handed these tablets to Moses, he didn't really hand them to him, but just before Moses brought them down, this is the instruction God got, uh, God gave. This is the culmination of something. Now, traditional interpretation, which is correct, sees that placement of I've given you all this tabernacle instruction, told you how to build everything, then he gives the Shabbat command, then he gives the tablets. Traditional interpretation says that's a very clear warning to Moses and Israel. 
I love the tabernacle, it's fantastic, but don't build it on Shabbat or you'll die. That's a traditional and it makes sense. Like, all right, okay, cool. Don't forget. And that's logical, but, 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 but there is so much happening in that statement that I want to bring to your attention and hopefully, if you're like me, help you find a little part of yourself that may be lost. Because here's the way this happens for so many people. I'm not talking about Jewish people necessarily who've always had some connection to the seventh day Sabbath and Friday night and Saturday services and all that, but I'm talking about many of my friends from the nations. For a lot of you, the Sabbath is the reason you're here. You saw Jesus in the synagogue on the Sabbath. You read the Bible and you said, wow, look what he's doing. According to his tradition, he's in the synagogue. And maybe you read the Ten Commandments once or twice and you saw, wow, there's this fourth commandment that says we should honor this day, but but why don't we? Or then maybe you read the verses like I just read you from Exodus and said, wow, God seems really serious about this. And you asked some questions, and you asked your leadership or your friends or relatives, and you said, what is the deal with this Sabbath thing? Like, it's, it's done this way, but we do it this way. Why don't we do this? Or why does this happen? Well, you know, what, what happened with the day? And sometimes the answer that you get is not sufficient. Like, Well, that was the Old Testament Sabbath. Or, thank God, Jesus did away with that because He resurrected on Sunday and He did away with all that stuff. Or, you know, that's that's the most famous one. So then you dug a little deeper. And you said, wait a minute, I'm reading this and I don't find any of those answers in these pages. And then maybe you you read a little bit of what I just quoted and you noticed something that caught your attention. Well, two things, what I just pointed out is God says, out of God's mouth, He says, this day will be holy for you. This day is holy to me. Gosh, that should probably mean something, right? Now think about that for one second. It's easy to understand how something God does is holy to us. But holy, holy to God, a day in time, holy to God. And then you continue to read and you read, observing the Sabbath throughout the ages is a covenant for all time. It shall be a sign for all time between me and the people of Israel. It's a covenant for all time. And you said, man, that's a long time. All time seems like it's probably still happening. All time. And wow, there's some kind of connection. And then someone may have told you this, friend, be careful what you're doing. That is the law. And that is also, my friend, for Israel. But then you read Ephesians. And it said, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Messiah Yeshua for good works, which God prepared beforehand, so that we would walk in them. Who's he talking to? The Ephesians. Were they Jewish? They weren't. And then you read the next bit of Ephesians 2, and it told you, therefore remember that previously you, who's he talking to? The Ephesians, 
Gentiles in the flesh. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the people of Israel and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Messiah Yeshua, you who were previously far away, you have been brought near by the blood of Messiah. And you said to yourself, oh my goodness, I think this applies to me. And then you read more in Exodus. You said, I'm a fellow heir, Paul says. And so he's talking to Israel, but I've been invited through Yeshua to be a participant in all this. And it says God himself was rested and refreshed. So you did something absolutely outrageous. You, against all wise counsel from every religious person that you ever met, started observing the Sabbath. The Sabbath. And guess what happened? Probably. Like God, Shavat Vayinafash, who rested and was refreshed, you also found rest and refreshing in the Sabbath. And what did you find in that? That you had been lost. You had missed something so big that was in the pages of the book you were reading and you found this rest and refreshing for your soul and you understood how incredibly important those words in our Torah portion were that the Sabbath is holy to God and holy to you and that in this thing that may have been unknown or lost or hidden from your sight for years, you found great blessings that God had promised because He made this day for us. And us means us. Jew and Gentile with our Father in heaven, us. He made it for us. Together, spending time with Him and with each other, and the Sabbath which had originally drawn your spirit in to asking questions and seeking the Lord on a deeper level now became for you, as Abraham Joshua Heschel describes it, a sanctuary in time. You ever heard that description? It's very Jewish. A sanctuary in time. And you understood now what it could mean for God to take a day of the week and sanctify it and make it holy. Because it meant something to you. And then, you ready? Like so many other things in our lives, in our busy, distracted, unbelievably packed to the brim with tasks and screens and things to do, you lost it. Not totally lost. You never forget what you discovered, what you found, and you'll always know how important the Shabbat is. But in your life, in being personally connected to something, to the Shabbat, you lost it. It just became a thing you know. And it happens to the best of us. And as I searched out that magic bullet sermon that I wanted to give you this week from Parsha Kitisa, 
with all of that stuff, maybe about the golden calf or God's 13 attributes or atonement or new tablets or who wrote them or Yom Kippur, when I searched out what to find in there to tell you, I realized that on some level, I'm lost. The world has taken me so far from appreciating what we have in our midst. Lost the beauty of the day. The holy to God, holy to us day where we can find rest and refreshing for our souls. And I'm probably not the only one because it's not intentional. It's not malicious. I'm not trying to be, it's not losing sight of how important it is to God or for us. The most obvious thing that happens is things that are super exciting or even very meaningful can lose their luster over time. How about, how about, well, no, I don't like that example. It's not in my notes. I don't want to go off the page. But amazing things become common. And speaking of a covenant, which is what Shabbat is, it's a covenant between God and the people of Israel. Here, here's this, like, this, this analogy. Marriage provides a, a great example of this point. Scott, you wanted me to do this again. Lost in love and I don't know much, but I'm thinking aloud. Oh, sorry. I just, I love air supply. Your original, I am totally lost. I love this person with all my soul. I want to be with him every single moment. Please, a moment away from you is dreadful. And then you get married. And then you start realizing oh my gosh, I actually, like, some of my feelings have changed. I still love them desperately, but they're, this takes work. I actually have to invest in this. This takes a little bit of work. And, and you know, I have to be intentional about this. I have to actually invest my time and energy. It's supposed to just feel good all the time. Whose marriage feels good all the time. Jonathan, liar. <laughs> they lose, things lose their priority. Not your marriage, not your mate, not any of that, but things just become more important. But you know what? Not to God. Not to our Father in heaven. To that point, from this parsha, I just want to show you this pattern. And I got to talk for just a minute today because we're talking about Shabbat and you don't have anywhere else to go. I want to show you from this parsha this pattern that I already pointed to. Just before, just before the tablets are given to Moses, God points to Shabbat as a priority. Then the worst failure in the history of the Jewish people occurs and all of this amazing stuff happens, Right? Moses goes up, he comes down, he's got new tablets, his face is shining. And then what's the next thing that happens? God, Moses, it's actually next week's Torah portion, but remember, Shabbat before the golden calf, fixes it, comes down, assembles all the Jewish people, and what's the first thing he says? Six days you shall labor. 
seventh day is a day of rest. The Shabbat is the golden calf bookend. It's strange. It's, it's sort of strange. And then Im- immediately after that little section of Shabbat, it's right back into the tabernacle narrative. Why? Why is this? Why that prioritization? Why all the talk about it? Why the reminder? All this massive excitement of the golden calf and forgiveness and second chances. Well, here's, here's the simple consideration. Before you set about building a place, you must set apart a time. That's what he's saying. Before building a physical location, a sanctuary in space, we must build what Heschel calls a sanctuary in time, which is holy to God. It's special. It's set apart. It's really important. It's holy to us. And we prioritize time together because guess what? Only God can sanctify time. You can, the, the Talmud talks about how man can sanctify space. Who built the tabernacle? Men. God consecrated it. But men build holy spaces and they can sanctify space. But only God can sanctify time. You see, men can build sacred space and men can destroy sacred space, which they did with the temple and the tabernacle. Well, not the tabernacle, but the temple. Destroyed. And only God can put an end to sacred time. No matter if the tabernacle functions or the temple stands, no matter what happens to that sacred space, this time transcends every space you could ever end up in. You understand? We can't destroy sacred time, but we can disregard it. And in so doing, lose a lot. Here's my other marriage example. You ready? Sweetie, I want to take you on the most fantastic trip you have ever been on. All around the world, 40 days to the most beautiful places, the seven wonders and every other thing. We're going to go and we're going to see and be in all these fantastic places. And she's like, yeah, that sounds good. We're going to do that together. And then we go and I'm nowhere to be found. Because the time doesn't matter to me. I don't care about that. What does she want? Yeah, Kelly would like to see some pretty places. But with me sitting in a cabin somewhere alone, that is not the point. The point of Shabbat is to sanctify the time. Now please, don't misunderstand. I'm not even talking about the mechanics of Shabbat. I'm not talking about lighting candles or the challah or the prayer or the laws or the observance. Not everyone knows how to do that. Not everyone has to do that. As a matter of fact, again, Heschel, if you've never read The Sabbath by Abraham Joshua Heschel, you should read it. But he talks about the fact that sometimes it can get too much when you try to put too much on the Sabbath. That it's only like the most holy people, he says, can do all these things. But I'm talking about the necessity of ceasing from six days of labor, and mostly it means just shutting down your mind. I don't mean don't mow your grass. I mean shut your mind down on everything that happened before. How easy is that in this day and age? 
but you can do it. You know why? Because God sanctified this time for you to be able to do that. Judaism speaks of receiving an extra soul on Shabbat. We won't get into the mystical part of it, but it's the idea that you've been empowered by God because He cares so much about this day and spending time with you. To put down the common and enjoy the set apart. And listen, if I could tell you how many times I say, I'm busy, oh, I'm so busy. I'm maxed out. I'm tired. I'm, I'm just worn out. And yet, when presented with an opportunity to create a sanctuary in time, I and probably you neglect it. And it just becomes another thing. Like even being here, I'm not saying I want you to cease from coming to services, but even coming here sometimes can just be, all right, I did Shabbat. This isn't doing Shabbat. Doing Shabbat is inside. This is a part of it. But, you know, it's, it's, the Shabbat is not dedicated exclusively to spiritual goals. It's a day of the soul as well as of the body. Comfort and pleasures are an integral part of the Sabbath observance. Man in all, and woman, in all of their entirety, all their faculties must share in its blessing. It is a mitzvah on Shabbat for husband and wife to be together in the most intimate of ways. It's a mitzvah to eat and to drink and to celebrate. These are the bodily pleasures of life. Who hates that? Jonathan, put your hand down. Just kidding. God knows you. It's this simple. God knows you. He made you. He designed. He built your operating system, your hardware, your software, the whole package. He knows what you need. And if you disregard this wonderful, this spiritual wonderland of time, if we, if we disregard this this Shavat Vayina Fash, the rest and the refreshing, you might find death knocking at your door sooner than you thought. There's this literal, okay? The verb nafash, Rashi connects that to the noun nefesh. What's a nefesh? It's your soul. Nafash means rest. Nefesh means soul. Vayinafash, nafash your nefesh. Rest your inner parts. The Sabbath attacks, it, 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 this is, I love this. The Sabbath snatches the soul from its enslavement to the stifling materialistic world and restores the aspirations of the soul. And so I think this Shabbat bookend around the golden calf incident makes this point. God says, if we lose this moment together every week, you'll get lost. You'll get consumed. You'll be off track, the world. And this keeps you from getting lost. How? How, you ask? Well, science can tell you all kinds of reasons. Science doesn't attach any religious affiliation or association at all with the necessity for you to have a ceasing period. You read it more and more. I'm going to have a, a cell phone Shabbat. I'm having a social media Shabbat. One day a week, I don't waste my entire mental capacity and melt all of my neurons by being on Facebook. Science doesn't need to tell you that. God already told you that, right? And He repeats it for you. On the seventh day, when you disconnect, you're connected. In our world of total 
absolute connection. When you disconnect, you're connected. And that will carry you somewhere. On the seventh day, God shuts it down. The heavens and earth were completed, all their heavenly lights. By the seventh day, God completed His work which He had done. He rested on the seventh day from all His work which He had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because on it, He, Shavat Vayinafash, rested and was refreshed. Now wait a minute. Wasn't the world created in six days? It says... On the seventh day, God completed His work. I thought it's six days. It's not. It's seven days. You know what was missing on the seventh day? Rest. Rest was the completion of creation. That was it. That brought it to a close. Our world is absolutely maxed. You see, our world is also missing rest. How many of you wake up in the morning and say, oh, thank God I feel so rested and ready for the day. Does anyone feel that way anymore? Our world is still in this dramatic fashion missing rest. It's hard to find. You have to work for it. And Wes, guess how you do it? You work six days. You work your butt off. That's what Judaism says. Work hard. Always. And on the seventh day, shut it the heck down. And if you don't commit to it, you'll be lost. That's why God says, remember and observe this day. It still matters. And I know some of you might be thinking, I can't even believe this. I've been listening to this guy for 14 years. Do you know how many Shabbat messages he's given us? I have given you a lot. But as I reconnected, as I reconnected through this week's study, I realized that I, your holy rabbi, not, am totally capable of getting lost and off track and losing so much. I mean, I'm working. This is something I do. It's a huge blessing and reward. But that doesn't mean that I can totally lose sight of everything I've just told you. And on some level, if I'm honest, I have. And so of all the great things I could have told you this week, that little paragraph was the thing I really wanted you to hear for your life. So that you don't drift Nowhere bad or sinful, just unable to find the same separation from six days. And for your soul to continue to long for what God promises and rest and refreshing. And I know, I know in this world it's not just me. I was, I was, I was lost on Monday and now I'm found. <laughs> Sounds like a great song. 
I want to invite us all back as a family into an intentional engagement with this day that God cares so much about in a way that's meaningful to you, in a way that may have been the very thing that brought you into a messianic way of thinking anyway, in a way that's meaningful for you. And there are so many beautiful ways within Judaism that we sanctify this time. But again, even beyond that, even beyond the spiritual, the prayers, the observance, I just want to see us reconnected to our rest and refreshing. You need it, Andy. You do. Hannah, I know you need it. Working with all those people. I know we are all tired, and God knows it more than us. You know what? Thank God, God doesn't get tired. But I do think He gets lonely. With all, all them angels up there singing glory. He wants you. I remember my, a musician, I saw a Christian musician one time. He set his guitar down and I saw the back of it and it said, uh, God loves everyone, but I'm his favorite. <laughs> so God doesn't get tired. He wasn't tired when he rested. He created something for you, just you, to be with him. How you want to do that, you, you need to figure that out. We, we do something with it, but, you know, so let's, let's check in. This is it. Keep the Sabbath, for it's holy for you and it's holy to God. It's an opportunity, a blessing that I think everyone in this room and everyone on the other side of that camera probably in some way can recommit to. And if you're connected and invested already and everything I've said is like, golly, when's this over? Baruch Hashem. I'm so happy for you that you have that. I really am. But if, you're, if, you're, if you've drifted, if now you know the definition of lost, I started with all those things I could mean, now you know what I mean. If that's you, come on back. If you're lost, if you've forgotten how important it is that God says for you to cease, today's the day to find rest for your soul, to cease from your labors, your worries, your strife, even your requests, your striving. Eat, drink, and be merry. Don't you want to hear that in a religious environment? That's the Shabbat theme. And give honor to God. Love each other. Love the creation. Love the Creator. Make it joyful, not burdensome. Celebrate the incredible goodness of life and the goodness of a God who knows well enough to make a day for you for Shavat Vayinafash. Nafash for your nefesh. Rest and be refreshed. Shabbat Shalom.